0: This podcast is available in video at fpcgulfport.org and fpcgulfport on YouTube. This morning, you and I are on the cusp of a new year. You and I are on the cusp of a new year. That's not a question, that's a fact. However, if there is a question to ask at this time, it would be this. Do you think that the new year is going to be any better for you than the old year? What do you think? How do you answer that question as you look ahead at what's on your radar in the time to come? Now, for many of us, as we assess the future or as we assess the present, there's three mental images that might come to mind. Now, the first image is that of a cage, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment. The second image is of a trophy case, and the third is of a ladder. Now, let's talk about the cage. For some of us, our life in the present feels like we're trapped. For some of us, we look at our age, our stage, our health, we look at our finances, we look at our circumstances, and every day we wake up and we just feel trapped. We feel like tomorrow's not going to be any better than today if things stay the way that they are. And, And when we wake up with that mindset where life just seems like we're hemmed in by our circumstances, you can't help but be discontent. You wake up each day with no great expectation for the future, and so when I ask you what next year will be like, it's, well, probably a continuation of this year, maybe worse. Those who see their life as a cage, what they see are limitations. They see uh, steel bars rather than the open doors that God would have us see. So that's one mental picture, the cage. Now, others might see their circumstances, their present, past, future as a trophy cage. See, sometimes what we can do is we say, all right, well, as I look to the future I don't know how many days I have, and so my tendency is not really to think so much about the future, but remember the good days, remember the glory days, remember the past, remember the days of yore, remember those things that I could do when I was more mobile or more fit or more healthy or younger, what have you. Sometimes what we do when we think about the future is we don't think about the future so much, we think about the past. Our mind keeps drifting to that trophy room, so to speak, the trophy case of the successes and achievements we've had in times past. And when we gather with others, we can't help but to retreat to that because that's what's most comfortable to us. Today's text, we're going to say that Paul would have none of that. Paul would say to those who look at their life as a trophy case, what you're doing with today is you're just passing time, not using it. Do you understand the distinction? If you have breath in your lungs today, it was given to you by your Maker for a reason appointed to you. If you're just passing the time and not using it, then you're an heir. Now, the third mental picture that I mentioned before is that of a ladder. Now, when we think of a ladder, what do we think of? Well, we think of progress. You think of going upward. You think of movement. You think of climbing rungs. There's all manner of things that occur when you think of a ladder. If you see your life as a ladder, you tend to think of it as one by which there is movement and progress in an upwards direction. Now, if, among the three things I've just mentioned, there could be others. These are just three. But if you tend to see your life as a cage, that's not where you need to be. If you see your life as a trophy case, that's also not where you need to be. If you see your life and your days ahead, no matter how many there may be or no matter how few there might be, If you see him as a ladder, then you are going to find yourself nodding in lockstep with Paul and everything that he is saying in today's text. In Philippians, in Philippians, Paul, as we said earlier, he's encouraging. He's encouraging the saints in Philippi. Now, let me ask you, how old do you think Paul was when he wrote this? Any guesses? Was he a young dude? Maybe not so much. We know he was at least about 60, give or take, maybe a couple years. And we know he didn't live much longer than that. Maybe 65, maybe something along those lines. So today's book, today's letter, in which Paul is describing his future through really what we can call the lens of a ladder, he's doing that through the lens of an old guy whose body has started to fall apart, and he has more than enough reason. He has more reason than probably any of us gathered to look at the trophy case and just sit back on his laurels and say, boy, I remember when I preached in Corinth, or I remember how God used me in Athens. I remember how he did those things. He could have retreated there as you look to the future, and just stare at the trophy case, but he doesn't do that. And he certainly doesn't view his life as a cage, which is ironic, because guess what? He was in prison. The very time he wrote the book of Philippians, this man was under house arrest. This man was in prison. The guy who tells you, don't look at your life as a cage, was actually in one, so to speak. However, you would never know it by just looking at this text. You would never know it if you just were looking at the passage that we're looking at today. Paul was a guy who could have been tempted to get frustrated by his present circumstances, see nothing but bars. Or he could have spent all his time thinking about the glory days of prior ministry. He could have done either, but he did neither. He could have done either of these things, but he didn't do either one of them. Instead, he saw his life as a ladder, and there was always another rung, no matter how few the days were ahead of him. No matter how few the days were ahead of him, he saw his life as a ladder, and there was still another rung to climb, another rung to reach toward. The same is true for all of us. There's always another rung, and chances are it's right in front of you. And Chances are you know what it is. The question is not whether there's another rung, and it's usually not whether you know what it is. You probably do. The question is, what's keeping you from grabbing it? Well, in today's text, Paul is going to exhort us to reach out. He's going to exhort us to grab that which God has put right smack before us. He's going to say this. He's going to say, brethren, I do not count myself, even I, Paul the Apostle, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind. I forget the things that are behind, and I reach forward to those things that are ahead. I press forward to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. Let's consider what it means to press forward to that goal as we return. Verse 12 of chapter 3, not chapter 2. Verse 12 of today's text, and then we'll work our way through the balance of these verses. So chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. He's acknowledging that even as an apostle who's been doing this for a very long time, he's not there yet. He's not resting on his laurels. So not that I've already attained or have already perfected, but I, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold hold of me. In order, again, to understand any one text of Scripture, it's helpful to understand the context of Scripture. If you look at any one passage, you flip your Bible open, and you see a verse, and you say, well, this verse is meant for me. The question is, all right, all right. Maybe God will use that mechanism to show you something, but it's really helpful and it's really important to look in the context of which the words were originally spoken. Now, earlier on in the book of Philippians, Paul referred to a group that he referred to in Galatians and other letters, and they were called the Judaizers. Do you remember who the Judaizers are? We studied this at some length when we talked about Galatians. The Judaizers were these guys who came into the early church, who came into these young churches, To those who were learning about Jesus, in many cases for the first time, and they came in to this church that was talking about Jesus and doctrines of grace, and they inserted something. They inserted works. They inserted an emphasis on all the old things. They said, if you want to come to Jesus, amen and amen, but come to Moses first. This is why they called the Judaizers. They were taking Christianity, and, and in effect, they were leavening it with all of the old practices. If you wanted to be a believer, amen and amen, get circumcised first. Then Jesus will talk to you. That was the mindset, and Paul fought this at every corner. They put such an emphasis on works that drowned out the doctrines of grace. They were legalistic in the extreme. Now, Paul knew something about legalism. Why? Because he had been a Pharisee. Paul, earlier in Philippians, he says, Hey, guys, you know, I know something about this stuff. If ever there was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I was him. If ever there was a Pharisee, if ever there was someone who could have been saved simply by keeping the law, it would have been me, because I tried all that, and it got me nowhere. So he says that just a little bit earlier in this book. He had once been a Pharisee. He once believed the sort of things that they believed. He once prided himself that God must love me because I've done enough. God must love me because I have opened the portals of heaven by my works, and on the basis of heaving myself on his golden shores, he'll recognize I deserve to be there. That is the end product of any religious system that is based and founded upon what you do, upon your works instead of that, instead of on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. You understand this distinction is really important. And to say that a gospel of works is anathema is not incorrect, because that's exactly what Paul calls it elsewhere. He says that's an accursed, a doctrine, a gospel that puts your salvation on the basis of what you do to earn your place in heaven. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That's not what we see in Scripture. Now, earlier in chapter 3, Paul had made this clear to the Philippians. He says, all right, guys, let me make this abundantly clear. I used to be that Pharisee. I used to be the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I used to be this guy. But let me prove to you that I'm no longer him. He said this earlier in Philippians 3. He says, the things that were gained to me The things I used to value, the trophy case, so to speak, these things I now count as loss, loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, through whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as, as what? Rubbish. It's a British word for trash. Trash rubbish, this is something we don't want. He says, all the things that I did, all the trophy case, I look at that now and I say, dear Lord, it's worthless. I count all these things as rubbish, that instead I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, which is what the Pharisees and the Judaizers were trying to do, but that which is through faith in Christ. In the plainest language he could, in the plainest language he could, he says, guys, 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 Yes, God has given us a law, but the problem is the law doesn't save any man. It condemns them. We should keep the law. We should strive to do what's right. But me striving to do what's right is not the basis by which God will allow me into his heaven. Otherwise, salvation becomes a debt he owes me. You understand that? If you can be saved on the basis of your own works, then salvation becomes a debt God owes you because you did enough. Fooey. It's actually a Yiddish word. Phooey is what Paul would have said. Again, Paul knew that that's simply not the way that it works. Man can't perfect himself. Man can't earn his place in heaven. No man can reach perfection here on earth that God should just go, oh, well, come on in, good sir. You've Man, wow, who you've earned it. He says it doesn't work that way. And he says, even I, I've been at this game for a while, he says. He says, you know, I tried all the work stuff, and that was a dead-end road. I now consider that as trash. I've also been apostle for some time, several decades at this point. And he says, you know what? I'm still not there yet. I'll never be on the side of glory to a place where God owes me anything. He says, I still have growth, even me, Paul the Apostle. I still have another rung. And so what do I do? Do I sit back and say, I made it? No. I reach out, I press forward. Not that I've already attained, not that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Paul says, "As long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to keep pushing forward, and I'm going to become the man that God has purposed me to be during the days He gave me to live on this earth. No matter what your age or stage is, no matter how many days God has appointed for you left, that's a good goal. Become more like Christ and be the man or woman that He has called you to be. All right, let's look at verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do: forgetting the things which are behind, and reaching forward to the things that are ahead." I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, for some of us, our past or our history has been pretty good. For some of us, we look back and go, I've lived a good, blessed life. For others, we look back at our past and we say, this has just been brutal. This has just been a a horrific decade or past number of decades. For most of us, life is really a mix Some years seem to be better than other years, and in general our life is like a sine curve up and down and the like. But here's the thing, whether your past, recent or long term, whether it consists of glory days or nightmares, in either case, your past may be distracting you from your present and your future. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying for some of us, our problem is that our past, whatever it is, is distracting us from what God would have us do today. And so what does he tell you? He says, I forget those things. The bad things that would cling to me and hobble me at the kneecaps and keep me from taking another step, I don't linger on that stuff. But he says, I also don't linger on all the successes. He says, I don't need to go there. God's got plenty on my radar in front of me. You know, if you're driving a car, you might occasionally look in the rearview mirror. Occasionally. But you don't spend your whole time looking in the rearview Or what's going to happen? Well, you know, you're going to crash. Young people don't do that. You use occasionally you'll look in the mirrors. You don't spend all day looking in the mirror, looking behind you. You need to be looking ahead. Otherwise, you're not going to get where you're going, and and you'll crash. So with that said, then, verses 13 through 14, Paul's saying, look, be careful that you're not distracted, good, bad, or otherwise, by what has come before you. The question's not what last year looked like. The question is, uh, what's on deck? What's coming up around the corner? What has God put smack before you? You ever want to know what God's doing in your life? Just look at what God's doing in your life. For most of us, we think it's like this esoteric question, like, I've got to know way ahead of time what he's going to have me doing in 5, 10 years. God usually doesn't work that way. But I'll bet you he's told you right now, he's placed before you right now, something you need to work on today, some aspect of sanctification that's not a shock and not a surprise to you. You don't need to open you know, fortune cookies or tea leaves to figure out the chances are that right now there's something before you, some sanctification, some progress, some step, some phone call you need to make, something you need to do, some action you need to take in your devotional life, your prayer life, your church life, that's already on your radar. That's the next rung. So grab it. Stop obsessing over the past, good, bad, or otherwise, start looking ahead. And furthermore, stop seeing yourself as trapped. Some of us, again, our problem is not that we're always in the rearview mirror. Our problem is that we just see ourselves as hemmed in. We'd say, well, I'd like to do blank, God might use me to do such and such, but I can't because of blank. Because I have this health issue, this age issue, these other things. Well, there are things that literally hem us in. That is true. But none of them hem us in to the degree that we cannot be more Christ-like tomorrow than we are today. Not all of us have access to the exact same opportunities, I grant you that. But none of us, none of us are limited in our pursuit of Christ-likeness tomorrow or next year. Even if you were given 10 days to work with, 10 days to live, how can those days prompt you or cause you to be more like Jesus by the time you meet him? There is an answer to that. The question for each one of us is, what is it? Now, Paul, Paul here. Paul was old. Paul was imprisoned. Again, if ever there was a guy who could excuse for saying, well, I think you've run the good race, now you get to hang him up, right? You can put your six shooters down, Paul. If ever there was a guy who'd earned it, it was him. And again, he was an older dude, and being 60, you know, what do they say now, like 80 is the new 60, or whatever it works like that? 60 was the new 80, you know, in his day. They were living without all the benefits of modern medicine, and all the multivitamins and the like. This was an older guy, and he could have just sat back and said, well, I guess I'm done. I'll just play out the streak here, and he says, no, I press forward, I push on. I reach for the rung that's right before me. You don't see any sign of quit in his words. Not a drop, not an ounce. This is not a guy who's resigned to his fate. This is not a guy who's going to sit on his hands, and this is not a guy who's going to sit on his laurels, even though he could have. Even though he could have. Instead, this older gentleman sounded like a young athlete, if you read his words. This old guy who probably had you know, creaky knees and graying hair and wrinkles and the like. What does he sound like when you read him? He sounds like a dude who's a young athlete because he used athletic terms. He talks about a fight he's going to fight, the race he's going to run. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to reach the goal. Who talks like that? Athletes. Those engaged in competition. Those who want to win. Those who are committed to being on the track, not sitting at the concession stand. Many of us, if we were to look at our lives and say, where am I? would say, I'm at the concession stand or the souvenir stand. But the question is, are we on the track? Well, he was. He says, I forget the things that are behind. I press forward. I reach on to what lays ahead. I press on to what lays ahead. This week, there's nothing stopping you from becoming more like Christ. Even if you were under house arrest like Paul, even if your body and mind are slipping with age, even if you're homebound, there's nothing stopping you as long as there's breath in your lungs from becoming more like Christ. How? Scripture, prayer, being in fellowship with others turning every thought, making it captive to Christ. There's any manner of things you can do from a bed. And if you live long enough, that's where you'll be. That's where all of us will be if you live long enough. We'll have to have other people lead us around, and we won't be able to move around a lot. That doesn't mean our journey's done. There's still sanctification to pursue. If you're a Christian, there's no such thing as spiritual retirement. It doesn't happen. Not a thing. Paul doesn't recommend this. He says the exact opposite. He says, press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Think vertically, not horizontally, with however much days are left ahead. All right, let's look at our next verses, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. As many as are mature, have this in mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let's walk by the same rule. Let's be of the same mind. He says, guys, let's do this together. The Christian race, what's interesting is it's not a solo venture. It's one that we're running in lockstep with brothers and sisters. And so he says, guys, let's do this together. If anyone has the same mind or they're not mature enough in these things, God will show them and maybe he'll use one of us to help. But let's lock arms, let's walk by the same rule, let's be of the same mind. Now, at the start of verse 15, you talked about maturity. Not all Christians are at the same level of spiritual maturity. Over the years, I've found that there's two signs I look for when it comes to those who are spiritually mature. The first one is easy, and that's, I look for folks who are marked by grace. Not necessarily by intellect or spiritual giftedness, because all of us have different gifts. But the gift is not the measure of the man or the woman. The question is, when they implement or put those gifts to use, when they put those gifts to practice, especially among the saints, do they do so in a way that just drips with grace and care? Are they able to take their toes being stepped on? Are they cautious to try not to step on the toes of others? Are they willing to listen more, you know, talk less? there's there humility and all these things? Is that all. If you were to take one word and apply it to those things, it's grace. But here's the thing. Grace needs to be cultivated. You don't come into this world just, well, that's a gracious baby. You might say it's a cute baby, adorable baby. You don't say, that's a gracious baby. Why not? Because you aren't born that way. In fact, it's just the opposite. Usually you're a whiny baby. <laughs> and some of us stay that way for a great period of time. But in time, the idea of the thought is this, that grace is cultivated, and that is a hallmark of maturity. right? Now, all of us are works in progress. None of us do, does this perfectly. Even grace can be stress-tested, and even some of us can be shown to lack it at times. But generally speaking, as a pattern of life, we should see grace It's one of the marks of spiritual maturity. Now, the second sign, that at least that I look for, that I look for when it comes to those who are spiritually mature, is those who are less focused on this world than they are on the next. Those who are so caught up in the things of this world, no matter how gifted they might be, Those are so caught up in either keeping after the Joneses or chasing the shiny baubles and toys and trinkets of this world. Those who are caught up in this world, no matter how gifted they may be. Even if they've been in church a long time, it's not a sign of maturity when you have trouble lifting someone's chin and cause them to look upward and do the things that God would have them do. When there's so many reasons why they want to do all the other things, have their cake and eat it too. Well, guess what? Christianity is a life of sacrifice, self-discipline. It's a life of reforming our wants and making them more like Christ's wants. And that means that we stop doing all the things that we want to do and start putting a precedent, a priority on what God would have us do. It dovetails with today's text. In today's text, Paul is saying, look, guys, we're all used to looking horizontal, right? We all are. But he says, maybe try this out. Let's, let's look vertical. The upward call, kingdom stuff, things that are a valuable for eternity. Maybe, maybe we can prioritize that this next year. Maybe we can put more of an emphasis, more of our eggs in that particular basket. It's a sign of spiritual maturity when we do that. Increasingly so. In John chapter 2, Jesus encourages us to have the right kingdom focus. He says, do not love the world or the things in this world. This is Christ speaking. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. It's like Jesus saying, look around you. Dear heavens, do you not see in the mirror your own gray hair? Do you not look around you and see everything deteriorating in time? He says, stop, stop, stop putting all your eggs in that basket of stuff that's just falling apart and rusting and decaying. Rather, think of the things of heaven. Christ says the world's passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's things you can do today, this week, that will ring a bell out into eternity. And then there's things that aren't worth your time. What are you going to spend time on this week? How about this next year? Like Jesus, the Apostle Paul knew that the world's passing away. Mature Christians get that. Mature Christians get that. And they teach their children these things. Mature Christians tend to take the long view. They sacrifice now for reward later. They prioritize the eternal over the temporary. Immature Christians don't. Immature Christians are a lot like the character Wimpy from Popeye. You remember that? I told you I was dating half the room. Wimpy from Popeye. Do you know what he used to say? He says, I'll gladly... What? Oh my goodness, you got this. There's more people than I expected. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, right? That's wimpy theology. It's bad theology. Don't be a wimpy. We don't put all of our emphasis on the hamburger today. We think about the future. We think about what's beyond. We think about that which is for tomorrow. Jesus would have us do it. Paul would have us do it. They would have us to look up, to think beyond tomorrow, Those who are immature don't do this. And if God loves you, he won't let you continue if you are doing it. If God loves you and you have misplaced priorities, then don't be shocked if God sends someone to tell you that you need to do something different. Don't be shocked if you come across his word and something convicts you. Don't be shocked if in your prayer life you understand that maybe God would have me do something differently than that which I am doing. If God loves you, he won't let you settle for some of the things you're settling for. If God loves you, he won't let you settle. Now, he probably will be very patient. In my own experience, that's been the case. Really patient God. Really patient God. Helping you work through these things. But he will be consistent. He will ring your bell on stuff that you need to do differently. In those moments, don't clam up your ears, but, but respond. Look to what he's put before you and reach for it. That's what the apostle meant in verse 13 when he said, i reach reached forward to the things which are ahead. Notice he says, I don't have to guess what's ahead. The stuff God wants you to do, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out. You don't need 10 theology degrees to know. You should spend more time in prayer and scripture and church, right? You don't need a bunch of degrees to know that. What you have to have is a will to do it. And Paul says, reach forward to those things which are ahead. Can we say, can we do the same thing? All right, let's look at our final verses, verses 17 through 21. Brethren. This is, I think, the third time he uses this phrase, brethren. He's saying, Guys, 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 join in following my example and note those others that so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says, Maybe, just maybe, there's some people in a local church that we can look to and say, That's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to go. I mentioned Sarah Newton earlier. I'll mention her again. I want to be like Sarah Newton when I grow up. I want to have the sort of faith that even as mobility slows, I cling to my Savior. Even as other things are taken from me, I am grasping onto that which is eternal. He says there are some that are patterns for this. Look to them. Stop looking to the pop charts. Stop looking to what's on TV or at school or what have you. Start looking to the people that are faithful. Some of them are in this very room. And they're a pattern. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk... Now this is, he's talking about those who aren't doing it right. He says, many walk, of which I've told you often, and I even tell you now weeping, that are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He says there's some, and he's not talking about pagans, mind you. He's not talking about Baal worshippers. He's saying there's some on the racetracks that really they're just taking up space because their heart's not in it. Their intent isn't there. Their God is their belly. They want to be at the concession stand. In fact, they're over there right now. He says that's not the way that this works. They're setting their minds on the earthly things. They got it all wrong. Don't follow them. Follow those who are doing this right. Start with the examples given in Scripture and then look for other examples God may have put in your own life. For some of it, it's parents, elders, officers, and others. And then verse 20, he says, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. He just said, stop focusing on the things of this earth. And he says, Our citizenship, you, me, all those who are blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High God, our citizenship is there. It's in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. There's a whole sermon right there. According to all the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. In verse 17, Paul acknowledges the fact that everyone's going to imitate somebody. Most behavior is learned behavior. You understand this? Most behavior is things you learn, and we learn primarily by observation. Imitation is normal. It's normal for others to serve as examples to us, including in matters of faith. But what if those examples are bad? You understand? We all tend to look to others to set a pattern for us and faith and practice. That's natural. It's going to happen. But what if the examples we look to are bad? What's going to happen then? How are we going to be discipled if those discipling us are not exemplifying good behavior? Well, in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, some are not doing what they ought to do. Some, their God, is not the God of heaven. Their God is the God of their belly. He says, choose this day. Think through who you will follow. Follow an appropriate pattern. Then verse 20, Paul moves on to talk about the word citizen, which is a term I want to reflect on with our last couple minutes here. When Paul declares that you and I are citizens of heaven, that is the coolest thing on earth. There's no place I want to be a citizen more than that. right? If there's any tattoo, any label I want to have on my forehead, my body, my clothing, it's this, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm a citizen of heaven. Now when Paul says that we're citizens of heaven, he's saying that this citizenship, that's our chief source of identity. That's our chief source of identity. And furthermore, he's saying that by virtue, every other source of identity is lesser. You understand this? Our home, our allegiances, all the things, the sports teams, the political parties, all that, he says, this is lesser. He says, you're not a citizen here, even though you're trying to carve out utopia here. You were made for someplace better. You're citizens of heaven. You're not of this world. So Paul, again, he's teaching this. Just, he's hammering it home, really. I As much an enthusiasm as I have for this text, Paul had a lot more. He was hammering this home. Now, where did he get this idea that we're citizens of a greater kingdom? Well, he got it from Christ himself. Listen to Christ's words in John 18. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I might be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now, does Jesus rule over all creation? Yes. However, His throne is not sitting in Jerusalem right now. His throne is not sitting on some earthly city or on some earthly mountain. Rather, this is how it works. He is sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And this world, such as it is, it's not His throne. Instead, what piece of furniture is this world? It's His footstool. This is where I put my feet up. It's not where I reign from. I am appointed to somewhere else, and you are too. Even when he was discipling his disciples, even when he was talking to his disciples, on the very night in which he was betrayed, remember, they were freaked out, they were anxious, because he was about to be taken. They sensed something was going to go wrong. He had talked about dying, and they were all freaked out about that. And he stops him and he goes, look, look. I am appointed for someplace else. And he says, you are too, in my father's house. Are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you to myself that where I am, where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is talking about a different kingdom, a better kingdom, a higher kingdom, a greater kingdom than what we see here. Paul took it to heart. Do we? Paul took it to heart. Paul knew that we're just specks of dust on a planet of clay, but we've been appointed something greater, someplace greater. Just like Abraham centuries before, Paul was looking forward to a city with foundations, a city with foundation whose architect and builder is God. Like Abraham, Paul realized he was a nomad here on earth, and he acted accordingly. So as I close this morning, let me offer this. The consistent message of Scripture is that you are strangers in this world, and you are made for someplace better. You're strangers here. You've been made for someplace better, but the temptation you will have tomorrow morning when you wake up is to think simply horizontally and maybe give lip service to that which is vertical. Encouragement is flip that around. Flip the around. Have your focus be that which is vertical. Have your focus be on the throne of God, and that will affect and inform the decisions that you will make, not only in the days yet ahead, but in 2023, the years beyond. Let's pray.